Well, good morning again. You know, so much of life is, is, a, is about choices, isn't it? You go through the drive through and small, medium, or large. You go to university, what courses do I take or what major do I choose? Uh, you find yourself and you're single. Uh, should I keep dating this person or should I, should I break it off? Um, should I get up in the morning and exercise, go for a walk? Or should I take that extra 30, 40 hours and, and sleep in? Every day we face choices, have choices, and some of those choices are relatively insignificant. It really doesn't really make a difference. Some of them are, are pretty important, and some of them are, in fact, life-changing. For example, uh, my wife and I, when we uh, lived in Canada and Saskatchewan, we heard the story about the city that we lived in. It was a place called Prince Albert, known as PA. And it's about 300 miles north of the border, north of uh, kind of eastern Montana, western North Dakota, in Saskatchewan, how many of you have ever heard of Saskatchewan? A few of you? Or maybe have any, has anybody been there? A couple of you? Okay. There's some great fishing way, way north. Great fishing and hunting. But there are three major cities in Saskatchewan. There's Regina, which is about 100 miles north of the border. There's Saskatoon, which is another 100 miles north. And then there's Prince Albert, which is another 100 miles north. And uh, Saskatoon and Regina are both not big cities, but they're, they're 200,000 or so people. And Prince Albert is 35,000. So you can tell that they're one of the three biggest cities that Saskatchewan, not a lot of people there. And uh, at the turn of the century, the uh, 20th century, in the early 1900s, Saskatchewan was applying to be, uh, to be a, moved from a territory to a, an official province, like a state. And uh, the, the government said, well, you need the capital for that to happen. And so there are three cities, three towns, kind of outposts at the time, vying for the, built the honor of being the capital. So they had to draw straws. Well, well, Regina drew the straw first. So they got to be the capital. But they said there's two more choices. One of you is going to have the university and one of you is going to have the prisons. Prince Albert won the next draw. Guess what they chose? The prisons. You know, it's the early 19s or early 20s or 1900s. And they thought, well, we need jobs. This is the frontier. Who goes to university? So they chose the prisons and the rest, as they say, is history. The choices we make, they make a difference. Sort of like the idea of, of compound interest. Most of us are familiar with that idea. The idea that you begin investing early and consistently in life and that over time, those small investments, disciplined investments, accumulate and eventually the interest that you draw and accumulate far, far surpasses the principle that you've invested. Our choices, the Bible tells us, are kind of like that. The earlier in our lives and the more consistently we make God-honoring choices, investing our time and our talent and our treasure in, in the God, in the way, things of God, the way that it works is over the years we'll see, a, we'll see a more fruit, more growth, more maturity in Christ, and in the end, a life that's well-lived and well-invested. A life much like the, the person, like the man, that's described here in Psalm 1. Now, Psalm 1 is a short psalm, just six verses, and it's filled with a contrast. It's a sort of a, a story of, of two different approaches to life, two different life choices. The tale of two persons. One person is the, the God-centered life, and the other person is the self-centered life. Now, when I say self-centered, I don't mean that they were a very selfish person and didn't care for others. What it simply means is that one person chooses to put God at, at the middle of their life and consider him in their, li- in their choices in life, and the other does not. They kind of go through life on their own, 
I'm not really considering God's wisdom, input or direction or presence or reality in their lives. And so today we're beginning with Psalm 1, which is the first of 150 psalms. Uh, We're going to be looking through some of them this summer. And we begin with Psalm 1 because in the Bible there's this consistent theme about choices, that we're standing at a fork in the road and we have to make a decision which direction we will take. And the Bible says there's one direction that leads to God and and to purpose and to life and to blessing and and peace. And there's another choice that leads to to aimlessness and restlessness and and um, and ultimately destruction. And the Bible says this in Proverbs 4, 25 and 27. Solomon said, look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet then stick to the path and stay safe. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. The idea of, of choices, two different paths. Jesus himself made the same kind of claim in the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 7, Jesus said this. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. And so we come to the, to the end of, of Psalm 1. And we see that it's clear that one path leads to a place of life and blessing and the other leads to a place that we we don't want to go for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So as we look at Psalm one this morning, we're going to pull out some things that three things that that help us when we come to those crossroads in life to help us to to choose wisely and, and to stay on the path that God has called us to be on. The first thing is we're told to be selective about the influences in our life. You hear people say, you, you become who you hang around with. Be, be careful on who you choose as your friends. Now, some people will read this verse, verse 1, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, and then launch into this lecture about how we, we shouldn't be friends with non-Christians. I don't, I don't, I don't think, that's, I think that's rubbish, honestly. Um, to, you know, some of them will quote Paul's proverb, Bad company corrupts good character. Uh, And as a result of that sort of thinking, sometimes people will just kind of pull back into these holy huddles and and talk about how the world is going to hell in a handbasket and kind of rub their hands and scuff their feet. Um, But this verse does not mean that we shouldn't have non-Christian friends. Jesus himself was known as the friend of, of sinners, which the people who said that gave him that title. It wasn't a compliment. We are to be light and to shine and to point people to, to the love and grace of Jesus. We are to be in the world, but not of it. And of course, we are to, to interact with those who don't believe. Uh, we are to love them and to serve them and, 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 and pray that God will work in their lives. It does say that if we want God to bless us, though, that we won't fall under the influence of those who live their lives without God. We are to be the influencers and not the influenced. Again, quoting Solomon in Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything you do. You remember, as a kid, I, I remember going to camp, and I loved going to camp as a kid. Uh, because you'd go there, you'd make new friends, you'd hang out, uh, you'd, they'd teach you cool stuff about God, and, and, you know, and you'd come back all fired up with all these resolutions and on a spiritual high. But I remember counselors warning us, campers, saying, you know, it's easy to follow God here, 
But when you get back to, to school or to work or, or whatever, uh, it's not going to be so easy, which is true, right? Because there's other influences that come into our, into our, into our world of, of influence. And, and, and we have to be, guard our hearts and guard our minds and, so that we are the influencers and not the influenced. Secondly, how can we be blessed by God? We are to be connected to our source of life. The psalmist here in Psalm 1 uses this simile of a tree uh, being planted by a stream, which is kind of constantly provides its roots with nourishment, and it grows and it's fruitful and it, and it flourishes. It's a beautiful picture of, of the person who's called to meditate on God's word, to, to chew on it, to think about it, to, to, to uh, ruminate on it. And that's kind of a, that whole idea of meditating is kind of an intimidating thought to some people to think, well, that's just for disciplined people or mature people um, or deep people. But, but really the idea of meditation, think of it like a, a cow chewing his cud. I'm, I'm sure you live in Kansas, you've seen cows chew their cuds. Uh, and, you know, the reason a cow chews its cud is because it doesn't have enzymes that can break down its food properly. So it chews it, spits it up, chews it, spits it up, chews it over and over and over again until it can digest it properly. And I read somewhere that the cows, some cows can chew their cuds up to 30,000 times in one day. What would our spiritual health look like if we took a nugget of God's truth in the morning and we chewed on it constantly throughout the day? 30,000 times is impossible. Let's say, you know, once an hour for just a few minutes or even morning, noon, and, and night that you kind of chew on, on a truth of God from his word and chew on it and ruminate on it and let it kind of be digested and absorbed into your life. What kind of difference would that make in our lives? You know, if, you, if a cow doesn't chew its cud, what happens? It tries to digest its food without, without chewing its cud. It gets sick, unhealthy, and eventually it can even, even die. The psalmist tells us that if we want to be people who are blessed by God, who flourish and and grow in maturity and fruitfulness, that we are to take God's word and and meditate on it day and night. Another way to think about it is there's a story about a farmer who was living in Kansas and he, he had two sons. And oddly enough, both of his sons grew up to become career Navy people. Uh, which always kind of struck him strange. And then one day his brother, who was a psychologist, came to visit him and, and had dinner. And he asked his brother, he said, you're a sharp guy, you're a psychologist. Um, riddle me this. Why are my two sons who grew up in the middle of Kansas, no water, no oceans, no exposure to the Navy, why are they both career Navy people? He said, well, that's a good question. I, I don't really have an answer. Let me, let me think about it. Well, the guy spent his brother spent the night and he spent the night upstairs in the brother's room. And he came downstairs in the morning, and told his brother, I think I've got an answer for you. Follow me up back upstairs. So they walk back upstairs. They walk into the room and there on the wall. The first thing you see in the room was this big, beautiful eye catching picture of the ocean with a with a ship in the middle of it. And the, the brother psychologist told his brother, I, I want you to lay down in the bed and tell me what you see. He said, well, I see the I see the picture. He said, the first thing you see when you walk into this room is this picture. The last thing you see when you walk out is this picture. The first thing you see in the morning when you wake up is this picture of the ship on the sea. He said, did your boys have this room, this picture in the room for a long time? He said, yeah, since they were probably two or three years old. He said, well, there's your answer. If you think about a picture like that long enough, you might become a sailor. 
The point the psalmist is trying to make to us when he talks about meditating upon God's word is that if we think about God's scripture, his word, his truth long enough, morning, day, and night, if we delight in it, we're going to become more and more like this, this man in Psalm 1. We're, become, we're going to become more like, like Jesus Christ. So that's the first half of the psalm, the first contrast. The second half, verse 4. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Now, I grew up here in Kansas, and I'm sure all of you have been around wheat harvest. And one of the things I would do as a kid sometimes is I would, when the wheat was getting ready, I would walk by and, you know, break off a couple heads and rub off the husk and pop the kernels in and chew on them, you know. I'm not sure why I did it, but I, I did. And you just kind of throw the, the chaff away. It, it had no value to me. It was completely and utterly worthless. The psalmist says that's God's evaluation of a life that has no room for him. It's like chaff. I mean, a person can be impressive in the eyes of the world, have a beautiful home, drive a nice car, win the applause of the world, have a wonderful family with a great future. But the psalmist says if that person does not make any room at all whatsoever for God and lives their life as if God does not exist, the Bible says it's all chaff. So we've seen that to be blessed by God, the psalmist says we are to be selective about the influences into our lives. We need to be connected to the source of our life, which is God's truth, his word. And then finally, thirdly, we are to be intentional about our destiny in life. The the Bible teaches us that, that what we experience in this life, these few years on earth, that it's not the end. That we are created in God's image, which means that we are eternal beings. That we are created to live forever with God. And, and the Bible is also very clear that one day the path we choose on earth will end and then it's in God's hands. And the path we have chosen will determine our destination. But the good news is also that God loves us enough that he has told us very clearly the end to each path. So we can choose wisely. One path, life, peace, eternity with God. The other destruction, and separation from God forever. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The famous preacher Ray Stedman has noted that this principle has never been demonstrated more powerfully than in the days of the New Testament. He writes, As we know from the book of Acts, there came a time when the Apostle Paul stood as a prisoner before Nero, the emperor of Rome. Nero was an arrogant, heartless, ruthless monster. He's regarded by historians as one of the most degraded and contemptible rulers to ever sit upon a throne. He used Christians as human torches in his parties at night. Yet his name was known all over the empire. He was Caesar. The whole of the Roman Empire bowed to before him. Everything revolved around Nero. And then there stood before him this obscure little Jewish man, Paul the Apostle, from a despised Roman province. Nobody knew him. He had scarcely been heard of except in a few isolated areas where he had caused some problems. He was a prisoner in chains standing before this mighty emperor. Yet as has been well pointed out, the amazing thing is today we name our sons Paul and we name our dogs Nero. Each and every day we face a fork in the road. And the decisions we make day by day by day determines our character. Our character determines our destiny. One path, the Bible tells us, leads to life, 
and peace and blessing. And the other leads to destruction. And so I leave you with a quote from Robert Frost, the great American poet who wrote, Two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Which road will you choose? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We're grateful for your truth. We thank you, Lord, that you're God full of grace and of mercy. And that you want each one of us to, to know you and to, and to follow you. Not because you're a tyrant, but because you've designed us for a relationship with you. And you know what's best for us. And so, Lord, help us to, in our daily lives, to be intentional about the choices we make and the character that we're developing. Help us to be like the man, the person who was like a tree rooted deeply by the, the bank of a, of a water, a river that, that nourished, and, and because he was tapped into that life, that, that river, his life was fruitful and beautiful and blessed. So Lord, may we be like that man. We offer ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.